Do you ever receive a gift that was unexpected, that you didn't see coming this time of year? You're probably thinking not only about the gifts to give, but you may be even, because we're all human, thinking about the gifts that you might receive. Do you ever get one that you wasn't on your radar? One that uh, surprised you a little bit? Uh, this time of year, it's not uncommon. In fact, that happened a few times this morning. Some of you gave me a gift that I wasn't expecting from you. I appreciate those. You ever get a gift that was not only unexpected, but that was far beyond your ability to ever repay, to ever return the favor in kind? I've received a few of those as well. Maybe you have too where it not only shocked you, but it was so far beyond the scope of what might be considered a normal gift. And maybe as you opened it or opened the card or, or, or opened the check or whatever it was, just stuttered and stammered and could do nothing but utter the words, thank you. We are today finishing up a series we are calling Offering. And we've been looking specifically at the three gifts that the Magi offered to Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, before, while they were in Bethlehem, but before they went to Egypt. Looking at the meaning and the message for them and for us of those gifts. Several weeks ago, the Lampo organization did something unusual. They called up a couple of companies that deal in private debt, debt owned by individuals. Uh, This particular, they called two companies, and the amount of debt that they owed was in excess of $10 million dollars. And the Lampo organization worked out with these two companies to buy all of that debt, to take it on. And then, the most incredible thing that the Lampo organization did was to completely and totally forgive every single penny owed. Now, for those of you who don't know, Lampo is the organization, the company run by Dave Ramsey. So when you know that, you would understand the guy who talks about no debt. But but he had really an opportunity, and his organization did, to, to bless people with something that was unexpected and that those who received it were completely, totally unable to repay. The really fun part was that... He assigned the thousand plus people who work in his organization, every single person from executive VPs all the way down uh, to the receptionist, got a part in making some of the calls to these people to let them know. Now, some of these people are used to ignoring the call, don't you know? So they would just simply receive a voicemail. Some of them actually got to speak to a person and hear the emotion and the joy knowing that their debt was completely paid and being in a position where they were completely unable to ever return the favor. 
This series has been about gifts given, gifts offered to Jesus the Messiah. But today, as we think about the last gift, there was meaning there that has more to do with the gift that was offered to all of us. Matthew chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 11, has been basically the core verse for the series. I'll go back there just simply because it's so easy in the time of the season to just say, oh yeah, I know that story. Oh yeah, I've already heard it. Oh yeah, I get that. And so we appreciate it much less. But, but if, I, if I could just encourage you in the pew or at home watching on the couch to open your Bible or open your phone, a Bible app on your phone or your iPad and, and go to Matthew 2.11. The scripture says, according to Matthew, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. The Magi came with an offering for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and we've talked about how perhaps they might have used that in practical ways. But also, we're thinking about the meaning behind those gifts. And, and today, the third gift has special meaning as we think about it. The first gift was gold, which we said was the gift of royalty. And the message was that Jesus is certainly king, and not just a king, but king of kings, lord of lords. And so the, 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 the message for us is to, to bend our knee, to bend our will, to, to bow before him and subject not just our hearts, but our lives as well. Colossians 1, 16 and following says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So the message of gold is that Jesus is the royal king. The second gift we talked about last week is frankincense. The message that Jesus is not just king, but he's God. It showed evidence of his deity, that, that the smell of frankincense was often associated with worship, both Old Testament worship and other pagan worship religions, uh, religions used frankincense as part of that holy offering. And this reminds us, of course, that Jesus is God in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so, so we were challenged to offer our lives a pleasing aroma to a holy God, to live lives pure and holy, tried and true with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. The second gift reminding us not just that God was king, that Jesus was king, but that Jesus was God in flesh. And in the words of those famous infomercials, but wait, there's myrrh. We have the third gift, 
And myrrh is one of those unusual gifts, again, like frankincense, that we don't really have much in the way of association today. But I will tell you, and some of you have been uh, coming up, I've been placing some of these uh, out for you to play with and mess with. These myrrh is a absolute, you cannot miss the smell. And not in a good way, okay? Listen, I've been in youth ministry for, I did that for a decade and a half. I've smelled some smells, okay? And Jeff can, Jeff can identify, he understand. A hotel room full of teenagers, uh, you smell some smells. This is a smell that you cannot miss. Myrrh is a resin, and it comes from the Comifora myrrh tree. And what's interesting in particular, it's, it's like frankincense and it's harvested the same way. The tree's wounded, it's bled, the resin is harvested off of it. But what's very interesting is that this particular tree is full of thorns from the top to the bottom. And so as you wound the tree, you have to be careful of being wounded yourself. Resin has... Lots of different uses. It was used for medicine. Excuse me, I forgot to get my pedestal here. It was used for medicine. It was used for incense. It was used for perfume. It was used for anointing oil. It was used for all sorts of reasons. And we look at Scripture to find some of those reasons. And uh, one of the most interesting parts about myrrh is its medicinal, its healing properties. In fact, I actually found an article on the Mayo Clinic's website. And they talked about myrrh and some of the ways in which it's used as an antifungal, as an antibacterial, as a, as something that is, is, can be used to heal cuts, minor cuts and minor abrasions. Now, you and I probably, for the most part, I'm guessing most of audience here and most of those watching uh, online at home, uh, have never used myrrh to, for healing, but, but you need to think back about 2,000 years in a time where you couldn't just go to your local Walgreens and pick up some antibiotic cream when you got a cut. You couldn't get any Neosporin for those things. You have to think that, that if you got a cut or an abrasion or something that got beneath the skin, it could be very almost life-threatening if not dealt with and cleansed properly. This was God's natural healing Remedy. It was highly valued for that purpose, for one of those purposes. Several places when it's used in the Bible, uh, not just for healing, uh, it was used. Uh, we see it in several places in Scripture. If you have studied the story of Joseph or read, maybe you have perhaps seen that myrrh finds its place at the beginning and at the end of Joseph's story. When Joseph was sold into slavery to some Ishmaelite traders, they came with caravans of myrrh. And at the very end of Joseph's story, of course, he was in Egypt after he had delivered basically the whole world. And the very last verse of Genesis tells us not only that Joseph had died, but how they handled the body. Verse 26 of Genesis 50. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. 
without a doubt, when they embalmed Joseph's body, they would have used myrrh. Myrrh was something that they used because of, as we said, of its property. You say, well, what use is a healing ointment for someone who's dead? Well, <laughs> part of it was it prevented the rot and decay. Sorry if this gets a little graphic for a Christmas sermon, but it prevented the rot and the smell associated therein. Uh, and so they would use this for embalming. And this was well known throughout the nation of Egypt. And in fact, we'll see, was used in the embalming of Jesus' body. In the Old Testament system of worship, myrrh was used throughout the anointing oils. It was a a very fragrant, uh, again, a smell that you can't miss. The Song of Solomon speaks of the perfumes and the fragrance of myrrh. And in the story of Jesus, much like the story of Joseph, from beginning to end, we see a very similar pattern in the Magi's offering. But then turn to Mark chapter 15. Actually, Matthew and Mark speak of this particular occasion. I'm going to go to to Mark just for this particular note at the end of Jesus' life. Chapter 15 First, we're here at the crucifixion, the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Verse 23, as Jesus hung on the cross, dying mostly from asphyxiation, and, and his, each breath laboring, of course, he's been beaten and flogged half to death. He's bleeding. Every single time he takes a breath, his whole body is put through excruciating pain. Just to lift up, to get his chest cavity away from the beam of the cross, to, it requires him putting all his weight on three points that were put in places designed to bring, bring great pain. The amount of physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross in a Roman crucifixion is beyond my ability to adequately describe. In mercy, they would offer those hanging on the cross as they died myrrh. It was bitter. It was uh, some, uh, I believe Matthew's translation calls it gall. It was absolutely, it was not something that tasted good, but it was an anesthetic. It would ease the pain if they would drink it. Perhaps you are aware that someone is near the end of their life and, and they begin to use morphine. Morphine begins to slow the pain, begins to make them more comfortable. Breathing becomes more easy. Myrrh had that same effect to lessen the pain. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, now what's interesting here is that they're given the opportunity to lessen the pain, to deaden his nerves, to not feel it as much. He denied it. He did not take it. And they crucified him. And they divided the remaining pieces of property that he had in this world amongst Roman soldiers casting lots at the foot of the cross. Can you smell it as they stuck the sponge in the myrrh and they put it up to his lips and he closed them? I've known people who are at the end of their lives and 
And they're in that last stage. They're trying to make them comfortable. And sometimes the reflexes don't even work. And in mercy, the caregivers will put sponges of water to their lips just to keep them from drying out. And I've heard of people who are so ready, they close their lips. Your Savior and mine did the same thing. He refused that which could have lessened his pain. And as they brought the sponge back down, don't you know there at the foot of the cross was the aroma, the smell that you couldn't miss. And then three days later, the Gospel of John tells this. They thinking that they're... Lord, their Messiah, their Savior, their Master, their Teacher, their Ruler, the one that they had followed, the one for whom they would lay down their lives, so they thought, watched Him lay down His. John tells it this way in John 19, 39 and following. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he, might give, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, also, who had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, with the spices, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So because of Jesus, uh, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus There, myrrh was not just an offering at the beginning of Jesus' life, nor at the end of Jesus' life. It was a smell that you couldn't miss as you walked into the tomb on Friday. And don't you know, for we all know the end of the story, that as the women came... Sunday morning to a tomb which had been opened by God knows who. The fragrant aroma of myrrh now in in piles on the ground next to the linen strips for a body that was no longer there. Myrrh was the odor of healing. It was the odor of death and for Those first missionaries, it became the smell of life. Myrrh became the fragrant offering. The offering of myrrh reminds us of Jesus' mortality. That he became human. That he laid down his life. That he felt pain. That he felt sorrow. That he felt all of the things that you and I feel but he dealt with them in a way that no human being, including you or I, has ever dealt with for or since. The offering of his life required his death. 
his wounds for our healing. The prophet Isaiah, if you're following along, Isaiah chapter 53, the well-known description of the suffering servant. Surely, surely, verse 4 says, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You and I have been cut, cut fatally by our own doing, by our own sin. I remember one time I cut my finger. I was doing something very foolish. I was trying to cut a, a, a bag of something that had been sealed shut, and I was trying to cut it open. And I was using a dull knife. And it slipped off and sliced my finger. And the, the gush of blood was instantaneous and uncontrollable. And in an eternal sense, you and I have been cut fatally. And, and the gush and the consequence of it has been uncontrollable. You try. You try to fix your wound by yourself. You can't. You can't do it by hiding it. You can't do it by trying to do enough good works. You, you can't do it on your own. You sit there with your wound that is unhealable. And Jesus offers you Healing in the eternal sense because of what he did. Philippians chapter 2, the scripture that Brent already read, says this. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These offerings show us three things about Jesus. Each gift tells us something about who Jesus was and what he came to do. The first gift of gold reminds us that Jesus is king who laid down his glory. The second uh, gift of frankincense reminds us that he is God in flesh, the, the fullness of deity in bodily form. And our third gift today of myrrh reminds us that Jesus was man Born to die. He was born to die on Calvary. So we, 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 we take that for granted. But remember, from the moment that Jesus came into the world, as the Magi offered the gift, the fragrant gift, that must have filled that modest home in Bethlehem. Don't you know, as Mary, 33 years later, weeping, Standing at the foot of the cross, 
And in her mind, as the, the odor of the myrrh stirs up, she's taken back. She's taken back 33 years. You know how that fragrance can elicit a memory? And in Mary's mind, she went right back to when the Magi offered this holy, fragrant offering to remind her, to remind us, not just of who Jesus was, but who He is and what He did. And so may we, may we learn from, from Jesus. The, the, the question is what God offered us. The answer is Himself. The only holy remedy for, for the eternal cut of sin. The only healing that would remedy our terrible state. And we couldn't do that. Only He could do that. And, and the only way He did that was through Christ by offering Himself. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. The gift, the gift was far more than you or I could ever adequately repay. I don't know, as we think about the offerings that the Magi made, how they did it, whether it was in bags or whether it was in just one big clump, but as I think about God's holy offering of gold, He offered holy royalty. And I think about God's holy offering of the frankincense, to remind us that He is not just any man, any child, but He is overflowing with deity. But He's not just deity. He's deity offered who laid down His life and Himself fully and completely for us. And he didn't stop. And he didn't limit himself. He poured it all out. For you and I. The Holy of Holies. Righteous beyond our ability to understand righteousness. Royalty beyond our ability to understand royalty. And humanity like the world has never seen humanity. Poured out. For us in Christ. The most holiest, wonderful offering ever given. And so the call then is, as we examine, as we think about what He poured out for us, the challenge is that we are called to offer ourselves to Him. To pour out ourselves for Him. To lay down our lives for Him. May we not forget that God's holy offering has a holy meaning. He made that offering for you. That you might offer yourself fully, freely, and forever to Him.
that you might be poured out, not as an offering, your offering wouldn't do, but poured out that you might live your lives for Him. His offering was poured out for you. The question is, the question is simply this, will you accept the gift? Remember the gift that you received that I asked you about at the beginning? The gift that you didn't expect the gift that was worth far more than your ability to ever repay? What was your response to the gift? Did you say thank you? Did did you object? Did you refuse it? Or did you do what the offerer of the gift intended? Did you receive it? Did you take it? And did you live with gratitude for the offering made? Final scripture from Hebrews says this of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having offered him him, himself once to bear the same sins will come a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The message of the incarnation is that God poured out Himself fully and freely for us. The Scripture tells us quite clearly there's a day coming in our own lives Maybe it's the end of our lives, or it's when Jesus returns, that Jesus will return. And this time it will not be to offer Himself. It will be to take all those with Him who've offered themselves. This morning I ask you a question. Have you accepted the gift? And have you received it with gratitude? And if you lived as Jesus called you to live, you say, well, how do I accept that gift? Do I just come up here and grab something? No, no, this is just a, a symbol. No, no, you accept the gift by doing simply what Jesus said, to believe and be baptized into Him and receive a gift that you could never repay and that you'll pour out your entire life to show your gratitude for. If you haven't yet begun that, this morning you have an opportunity to do that. We're going to have some shepherds at the back in this next song. You can go and meet with them if you need to put on Christ in baptism. Or if you are in Christ, but your life has not been the offering that it should be. And you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to repent. You, you need to ask someone to pray with you. Our, our shepherds are glad to do that as well. Whatever your need might be, I pray that you'll respond. I pray that you'll accept the gift if you need to. Or you respond in your heart by living a life right, by living a holy, fragrant offering to the Lord. Whatever your need might be, I pray that you'll bring it as together we stand and sing.